Hello and welcome to today's PropCast on City Regeneration. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and today I'm going to be talking to Chris Darrick, Fund Director at Federated Hermes, who have around 6 million square foot of pipeline space across provincial cities across the UK. Notably, some of their, their big and most, most high-profile schemes over the last years have included Noma in Manchester and Wellington Place in Leeds. And, and Chris is going to talk in depth about some of the challenges faced by investors on long-term regeneration projects and, and some of the challenges that he sees coming ahead, not least with, with the fallout from COVID-19 and the current retail restructuring. And I started by asking Chris what some of the challenges have been over those schemes that, that they're involved with and also how he sees the market shifting going forward? Well, I, you know, I think it's, it's a very interesting question, particularly this time in the middle of, well, hopefully coming out of the COVID crisis. But we've seen, there's been trends across the commercial property market over the last few years. Uh, and what we're seeing, I think, is, is COVID-19 accelerating those trends. And you're, you're seeing it with retail you know, it's, it, was, it wasn't in a good place before. It's in an even worse place now. But, it, you know, it's accelerated the demise of a number of occupiers there. With with offices, our experience was that tenants, there was a flight to quality. You know, I think there's probably too many offices available in the provincial cities. Most of them aren't fit for purpose. But values, you know, residential values haven't risen or, or commercial values haven't fallen to permit alternative uses to be introduced, unlike you know London, where it's, we've, we've witnessed that, and other certain cities like Edinburgh, perhaps. So we see that the tenants were moving up the the quality scale, looking at uh, you know attracting and retaining staff, looking for the best quality space, you know environmentally friendly, and appropriate for their corporate image. So our experience was the tenants were not taking secondhand space despite it being refurbished to a good standard and in a, in a very good location, but, and were trading up and prepared to pay more rents. I don't see that trend uh, diminishing. I, I, You know, there is a shortage of supply of, of grade A space in the provincial cities and there's very little building uh, occurring. So I think that, that there is still a future in the regeneration projects that we're undertaking in these four key cities. Yeah. And, and you've got, it's about six million foot of space, isn't it? You, you've yeah. Currently got... I, mean, I think fairly uniquely we've got uh, towards 6 million square feet of pipeline supply in four key cities. It's a lot of buildings. It's a lot of buildings. There's a lot of buildings. <laughs> Would you look at it? It's, you know, it is quite an exposure, and we've managed that exposure of bringing on a partner in the shape of CPPIB. So far for two of the projects, which were more advanced, that's Paradise Circus and Wellington Place. Uh, and we're also managing exposure by building buildings. We're not, you know, we're, you know, there's, there's no commitment to build six million square feet. There's a commitment to yeah, and, and, you've, and, and yeah, and in fairness, I think yeah, yeah. So we're being a little bit over, overly dramatic, aren't we, Chris? Because you've 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 drawn down yeah. a lot of that funding over time. Yeah. You've secured a number of of, of very competitive pre-lets, yeah. and that's actually yeah. underwritten a lot of the risk. That, isn't it? That, you're absolutely right, and that that's that is the key to it. Um, it's, it's it's being prepared and being ready to react to the market. So you need to kind of invest the time and the effort and the money to get to, to get the agreements in place for the land, to get the planning consent sorted out and and to, to, to work with contractors so you have a pipeline supply. Because if once you start building on these estates, it's important that you don't stop. So that leasing momentum is very important. We've seen it in King's Cross. We saw it in Brindley Place before. 
it's really it's worked in the Leeds definitely MPC have done a phenomenal job of lacing up that scheme for us and we're hoping to replicate so, so, so it's a kind of mix of that momentum of 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 brand that momentum of interest with people people looking at a place and go loads of stuff's happening over there we're gonna go and base ourselves in in Brindley Place or in Noma that's right it's about it's about creating the sense of place it's about creating the place first of all and then introducing the buildings into the mix it's a, it's a formula that's worked really well for us and we're hoping to replicate that as I say in, in, in Noma where we've now got consents in place for three buildings and actually I meant to say earlier that yesterday we we the my investment executive approved the development of the first building so we're we're, we're about to sign a contract with Bowman and Kirkland to deliver the first uh, ground up building in Noma uh, that should be on site fairly soon Amazing, yeah. I mean, it's and Noma's had a, a it's it's had a bit of a checkered past, um, but a, a, again, you, you've really come good on that the last few years, haven't you? And I think certainly one of the one of the turning points was when um, Bruce Katz actually from the Brickens Institute uh, he, he name checked it as an innovation district, and and suddenly people started looking on Noma in a slightly different capacity didn't they? they it was sort of seen as this you know it's a, a bunch of old co-op buildings but actually the vision yeah. that you brought into it made it much more than 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 a few old warehouses and a train station and, and i think you know that that's really showing now isn't it in in the way that it has become this this hub of activity you've got all sorts of different startups and, and established businesses there and 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 to some degree you got a bit lucky didn't you chris with with the money that was plowed into the railway station Oh, we get very. I mean, you know, you can see that about Kings Cross as well. I think there was maybe two billion that was poured into the ground around about Kings Cross that we didn't have to pay for. But you know, you're buying into infrastructure, you're buying into improving locations. That's that's our job. And Sonoma was that that was a perfect example of that. Now, to be fair, the co-op were a brilliant partner, and they had some vision around that. You know, they they had a a, a business plan to develop out. You know, to to deliver. The, the business course as well. You know, they're a retailer, they're not a developer, you know. So it, when it came to committing to doing things, it was it, it, it clearly we had, there was a kind of divergence of um, belief in how to deliver the projects and that led to us buying them out. Uh, but I think they're delighted with the progress that we've made uh, and the fact that we are implementing what ultimately was their initial vision in the first place. So, so in terms of the the... the the ground up development you're going to be doing obviously one of the massive successes uh, a couple of years ago was hanover which is uh, yeah. absolutely amazing um refurbishment absolutely i mean you know, one of, must be one of the best buildings in the city and that that was taken by amazon yeah um and, and that that's been an amazing uh just a really landmark deal for the city wasn't it yeah, I think I think so. And for for Noma, you know, uh, Hanover is a, as you say, it's a it's a beautiful building and a phenomenal scheme, really. But it was, you know, in isolation, it's not something we would have looked at doing, given the difficulties of refurbishing and repositioning such a heavily listed building, given its condition. Oh yeah, it was, it was a traumatic business, wasn't it? That yeah. building with the fire and, and everything oh. and that, you know, really difficult. You know, the the rest of the listed state is it's no cakewalk. We've got a, we've still got a couple of listed buildings. And the old kind of new central hall to go, but we've got we've got great plans. For well, that's the, the one that I'm really interested in, as, as you know. That I I want you to, you know, and you. I think I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you, you you gave me a written promise that you were going to create a, a Glasgow Barrowlands out of the new century hall. There will be something. Yeah, we're looking at. Uh, I'll have to have to find that, Chris, <laughs> and show it to you. <laughs> yes, we're looking at um, creating a music venue. It was a music venue in the past. Uh, some very big acts have played there, so we're looking to create that again and it's going to add to the mix and, and create more vibrant um vibrant part of the city yeah 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's a fascinating, fascinating bit of talent and so much history there. And I think also the other, the other, the other thing uh, that, that's obviously made a huge difference is, is the investment in residential around, around the periphery, the mode of living project, Angel Gardens, again, one of the country's most, you know, most highly amenitized, most premium built to rent projects. Yeah. Um, with over 450 apartments just right next door. Yeah. I mean, Noma was rightly conceived by the co-op as a kind of mixed-use development. You know, that wasn't our core capability back in the day. So the site was sold to Moda Living and they've delivered their project. Uh, you know, and what's happened with Angel Gardens. So you've got a lot of residential uh, and other uses filling in round about us. So Noma's becoming more central, you know, almost by the month to allow us to deliver our commercial strategy for that estate and create this new kind of innovative business district in the city centre. Mm. So, so you, you, you remain confident that the, the Manchester office market is going to hold up despite what we've seen over the last few months? I, I do, yeah, I, I do. I think there's, there is kind of a uh, dearth of supply. If you look at the pipeline, there's very few buildings coming out of the ground. You know, the council have been excellent in Manchester, opening up other, you know, development opportunities. So there is... You know, if you look into the future, there's more there's more developed opportunities in, in Manchester than probably anywhere, largely as a result of the council's intervention. But, that, you know, they're not all going to come on stream at the same time. They're all at different stages in terms of the process. Uh, so we think that Noma's really well-placed to... This probably is Noma's turn, I think, to step up now. So the timing of the first building, uh, we think, is, is spot on. Mm. I mean, let, let's move on to Wellington Place. I mean, that, that's that's much more f- further along. It's it's a project that's had a lot of great press over the last few years, and 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 that's that's become a, a hub of its own right, hasn't it? Really? Yes, it has. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like a enclave within the city centre. You know, almost. Um, the, you know, the issue we've got. I mean, the challenge with 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 Wellington Place, the buildings are there. We built the buildings, and the tenants have come. It's the vibrancy of the place, and and again, we you know we have toyed with the idea of looking at mixed uses to introduce more life to the state, particularly the second phase is down towards the river. But there's a lot of residential going in around us. So we want to try and integrate that. I mean, at the minute, Wellington Place is a site in its own, so it's secure, but we want to open it up and allow people to kind of the footfall to traverse across it to access the station from all these residential projects. So we can actually introduce more life to the state. That's that is the biggest challenge we've got, I think, with Wellington Place. But you know, it's, it's been a phenomenal success from an office perspective. It's just ensuring that we deliver the services that the tenants will expect in the future. Mm. And, and HMRC is one of your tenants there. Yeah. How important do you see public sector occupiers in driving some of these regeneration projects forward over the next few years? You know, given, obviously, you know, what we've seen over the last few months is the state playing a massive role in pretty much everything, we've almost got the government that Jeremy Corbyn promised us from from the Conservative Party in England. Um, yeah. But but politics aside, um, how important are, are those kind of tenants going to be? You know, and, and are is, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? No, I, you know, I think it's um, with Wellington Place. Obviously, the first phase we didn't, you know, we didn't really need. It was kickstarted largely without any kind of public sector. Uh, tenants, but I think they're very important. You know, I mean, I think when we first engaged with the GP, we were really excited about the requirement because it, it talked about being accessible, open, just kind of a, making it more of a place of so having ground floor activation and everything. Mm. That soon changed from from what all the kind of nice fluffy stuff that you want from place making to it become a bit of a fort. 
our fortress. So that, that was a bit of a challenge to try and work with them to get specification that was right so that you didn't have a, a fortress in the middle of your estate because you want it to be active and lively. Mm. Um, but I do think public sector intervention is really important. We've seen it in Manchester where, where the council actually have signed leases. So they've guaranteed income for investors, which, you know, subsequently from the right decision to, to make where, where they have sublet the space to high-quality tenants, inward investing organisations. So it's, that, that is a good thing the council are doing there. They're, they're kind of backing their developers to deliver product to attract new businesses into the city centres, which is great news. And I can see that does happening. It, does it give you a false market, though? It's a slightly false market, I think. But these are but that, that wasn't necessarily in Manchester city centre. That's more Salford. So it's yeah. kind of in, a, in locations where, where, where they require to regenerate it. If you take... I mean, if you but take a critic that, would say you're just you're just you're just keeping rents high unnecessarily, and that if the market was there, they wouldn't have to do that, and the prices would come down. That's a very very valid point. But equally, the rents have to be at a certain level, otherwise you can't afford to build. You know, so land there's land value, there's rents and yields, but there's also construction costs, and that has been rising dramatically over the last five six years. Building mm. cost inflation has been it's been an enormous factor. So it's very difficult to deliver these buildings at um, sensible prices now in provincial markets, which there's so there's an element of cost push inflation in the rents. Mm. Unfortunately, that's just a, a fact of life. But that that's happening more. I guess you can see that happening more in other sort of second tier cities where they're trying to encourage kind of inward investment. It's less prevalent in, in the kind of the, t- the top tier of cities where tennis are attracted there because of the universities and education yeah, to attract yeah. the staff. So, I mean, and, and, to, and talking of universities and education, obviously um, you recently, uh, well, it was recently, it's a, it's a while ago now, but you, you, you fully acquired MEPC um, and they've got a fair degree of presence on the periphery of, of Oxford. Um, you know, it's, well, it's next to Didcot, Milton Park, Didcot, but most, most people would think of it as near to Oxford. Uh, yeah. And Milton Park recently announced a, a 20-year vision, didn't it? So, it, it, And essentially that vision is it's basically Business Park 2.0, isn't it, Chris? It's, it's, it's looking at taking you know, what's essentially a, a, a quite a, an old-style business park and, and, and giving it not just a refresh but a total overhaul to make it appropriate for, for modern needs. But you could say that, that actually you know, these sorts of projects, if planned in the right way, could, could, could really harvest a lot of the overspill from cities like Oxford that just haven't built anything. Yeah, absolutely take the pressure pressure off, off Oxford, which is limited, which is limited opportunity and land supply. Really, I mean, Milton Park has been an evolution, I think, since MEPC originally, they bought it in auction back in the 70s and, and since so there's, there's been a very very long association with 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 the asset which is culminated in you see this, this 2040 vision which uh, Philip's developing uh, for the for the scheme and it is it is ambitious but it is just evolving what what's been happening over the last 10 years I mean some of the buildings that we've we've put there on that estate are phenomenal you know some of the projects that MEPC have delivered I've really transformed parts of that state already. So it's just evolving that strategy and 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 and, and creating a kind of longer term vision as to where we're going with it. Mm. The tenants there are, are you know, hugely uh, loyal. The retention rate's phenomenal. And I think that's, you know, MEPCs, the way they manage the estate, tenants have the flexibility to expand and contract. And that's that's a real kind of benefit, if you like, of having these large estates. And is that you see that as being a, I guess, a specific element 
of the kind of ownership that that you would have over over a, a group of assets, which is you know it's, it's it's a different way of thinking from you know, from many many investors. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, we've learned you know you kind of this process for us first understanding what kind of occupiers want from 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 property that's kind of led us down a certain route or, or involvement with things like you know in the past Brindley Place even Milton Keynes Shopping Centre, working with that, which is effectively the town centre, or the city centre, I should say, King's Cross. The excellent stuff that MEPC have done across all the assets they manage for us, it's that scale. Mm. Well, Silverstone, Silverstone being, being, I think, yeah, must be everyone's favourite uh, part of the MEPC portfolio, and, and that, that's been an astonishing uh, evolution, hasn't it, over the last five years? This, yeah. this, this cluster of, of you know, F1 engineered, anchored, I don't know how you describe it. I mean, it's just it's, it is a, the living embodiment of a, of a genuine innovation district, isn't it? Well, it is, and, and you know, I've got to give absolute credit to. I mean, obviously, the MEPC, the wide MEPC team, but Rosbird uh, in Silverstone has done a phenomenal job of actually creating this high-performance engineering and technology cluster there, merely by getting organisations to speak to each other and share. You know, she's doing a phenomenal job with that, and we're on site now with with uh, a number of projects there. And she's very keen to accelerate uh, the development there. So that that's a very exciting project, yeah. And 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 in terms of, I guess, moving forward, then, what do you see the appetite from investors for more of these sorts of projects? You know, how how has the world changed dramatically enough that institutional partners are, are going to potentially look at changing their allocations to 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 real estate in any meaningful way, or, or you know, actually? As you said earlier, do you see the carnage in the retail market in terms of shops um, rather than retail investment? Um, do you see that carnage being a good thing for the sorts of projects that, that you that you do? I mean, I mean, I think you know the issue for investors at the minute is that the you know where we'd have invested our money in the past has shrunk. I mean, fundamentals are more relevant today than they were twenty years ago, except there's fewer places with the correct fundamentals and, and you know we kind of i think chris taylor's called them relevant assets you know we think there's still you know there'll be stronger demand for for assets which are relevant and those assets are ones which can sustain a, a an income return so by creating these kind of centrally located best-in-class business locations you know i think they, they they will remain highly sought after by investors in the future and I think the kind of the carnage in the retail market throws up some really interesting opportunities for uh, cities and, and towns to kind of really kind of think about how they re-engineer those places because values have collapsed, you know, to land value and sometimes below that. So there is a real opportunity to grasp the nettle in some of these uh, locations and really kind of make some real differences over the future. And does that, I mean, and does that create a, a solid opportunity then to deploy patient capital? What because I mean, as you say, you're going to have a lot of those opportunities, but many of them aren't going to benefit from from the the heavenly luck. Let's call it heavenly luck that you've had in 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 places like Kings Cross and Manchester, where you've just happened to have uh, a, a major new glo- um, not well in in some cases international, but in some cases national transport hub. You're not going to get a. a a transport hub in every single city centre that needs regenerating. So how, how how do you regenerate those cities where you don't have a King's Cross, where you don't have uh, you know a, a, a Manchester or York rail stations in the centre? Well, you know infrastructure is critical 
and that, that that has to be a consideration with it with any with any development situation. I mean, if you look at Milton Park as an example, a business park out of town, you know, it's okay, it's close to a, a station in Didcot Parkway, but it, it is it is you know definitely more cardboard than than not. But we have MEPC have worked tirelessly there to kind of enhance the kind of transport infrastructure to improve accessibility to all forms of uh, mm. of, of all modes of transport to that park and I think seeing a you know you can carry out similar exercises elsewhere but you know not to say it won't be a challenge in some locations but the, there needs to be serious consideration about how you actually get in and out of places before you kind of you know deploy capital into them yeah and and in terms of how that might be structured I mean what what, what do you think the opportunity what do you think the appetite will be from from institutional investors to do uh, and, and undertake joint ventures with, you know, with, with city councils and, and other, other, other public bodies. I mean, we've seen a, a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of things that you guys and, and others in the market have been doing, you know, at, at a national level. But I'm, mm-hmm. I guess I'm talking for the tier two, tier three cities that are going to need some investment. Uh, and where there might be money to be made over the long term, is that are they going to are they going to die off because people are only focusing on 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 super core locations. Well, that that's a real danger. You know, the funding structures that we've seen is that a number of institutional investors ha- have worked with councils recently to to fund infrastructure projects through kind of income strip situations or, you know, and so the councils need to be a bit more proactive in as to how they kind of look at their own cities and, and how they actually present themselves to the investment market uh, in terms of getting things done. I think it's more really important they've got the right people in place to deliver strategies now you know and sometimes you go into some councils and you're met with you know at the top end by some very credible and enthusiastic individuals Mm. who really want to see it make a difference but actually when it drifts down to the people that implement what they want to do and see happen it just doesn't happen and that's how we do you think i mean it could is this i mean i'm just sort of just thinking you know with my obviously with my with my old British Property Federation hat on that I've not worn for for about eleven years now, but I, I wonder whether collectively there could be something that the industry could do, and that you know it might be you with you know with, with other players, the you know LNGs and and uh, Avivas of this world, actually coming together and, and offering some of this advice to councils, and so not not necessarily to the places where you may invest, because yeah, I know. you know as you've suggested. You know, you're 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 looking at deploying a certain amount of capital, and that that might work in Bristol or, or Birmingham, but it's not going to work in, uh, you know, it's not going to work in Wakefield or or Bradford. Um, but I wonder whether you know there, there will be clear lessons that you've learned in Manchester and Birmingham that that you could share with you know with with people looking at, at slightly smaller, less uh, less appetising opportunities. I mean, abs- absolutely, it'd be a, it's a very interesting. Uh, thing to do. I mean, you're talking about kind of facilitating the investment, really, and and kind of educating the councils and the approach. Yeah, abs- I think that'd be a great idea. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll absolutely make that happen. Um, right. Before you go, Chris, um, let, let's just um, let's just talk a little bit about, um, I, I guess, what the future holds for Federated Hermes. Um, obviously, you know, you, you are. Still, you've still got a long way to go in in many of the projects that you're in. But but what stuff are you looking at uh, at the minute? Do you you know do you think you will make a move full scale into you know into residential again? Are, are there other things that you're eyeing up uh, in the current market? You talked a bit about retail distress, for example. Yeah, you know, we're very lucky to have a situation where we're not having to chase the market just now. 
we have managed to put ourselves in a very fortunate position of having these kind of vast areas of land banks which like that we can actually deploy capital in as and when we realise assets elsewhere. So we can churn the portfolio and still kind of find a home for it without actually kind of chasing the market. But that's not to say we're not looking at new opportunities all the time and new themes. We've got Will Gibby and uh, Matt Chillingworth are running our residential kind of strategies now and they've successfully kind of deployed capital into two assets so far and they've got and three under offer and the, the returns have been very, very good actually from, from that strategy so far. And they, again, it's been a learning experience for these guys, uh, but they are now beginning to deliver on that. So that we will look at putting more money into that, that sector, both for BTPS and other clients uh, as well. On the retail side of things, we're alive to that. I mean, it's particularly attracted to retail warehousing actually as a happens. I mean, BTPS fortunately sold down all of its retail warehousing and and. I think we start off with maybe 11 shopping centres, we've now got two. So we're now in a position where, where if you wanted to go by with a benchmark, we're well on the way to the benchmark. But the assets that we retain, we're happy with, include Tottenham Hale and, you know, it's a regeneration project in itself. Milton Keynes, which is a best-in-class shopping centre and a neighbourhood shopping centre in Sheffield. So we're very happy with our exposures there, although they are getting smashed with the values just now. But, you know, relative to the benchmark, we're sitting in a good position. So we have the ability to deploy more capital into that sector if we think the pricing looks attractive. And that is something we're looking very carefully at, yes. Thank you then to Chris Darrick, Fund Director at Federated Hermes. This has been the final episode of our City Regeneration Series, and you can listen back to other episodes that have got Sir Stuart Lipton, Jack Pringle, John Hitchcock, Marcus Mayer, and Ian Gray from Network Rail and Homes England's York Central JV uh, on Apple, on Spotify. Just search Propcast and do subscribe. Do give us a rating. Do share these Propcasts with your friends, colleagues uh, and and, and other contacts. Uh, And if you'd like to get involved, do get in touch with us. Uh, My name is Andrew Teacher, founder of Blackstock Consulting. Thanks very much for listening.